Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, if you could open up the book of life to Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemies, uh, blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Lord, just open up your word to us. Enlighten us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and for your glory, Father. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The title of tonight's message is Called to Serve. Over 43 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 43 times. A third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. When you read God's Word, it's a lot different than if you study God's Word. Amen? 
If you dig, you find things out that you don't find out on the surface. Whenever you dig into God's word, you're always going to find buried treasure. Guaranteed. Buried treasure. So what we see in this uh, first verse, the number of disciples was multiplying. Discipling was going on. People were getting saved and being discipled. Are you? Do you have somebody in your life that's discipling you? Or do you have somebody in your life that you're discipling? You're, you're bringing them along. You're growing together in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we see here there rose complaints against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Did you know that there are complaints in every church? Forever? Throughout history? The bigger the church, the more complaints. You know why? Because churches are full of sinners, like you and me. There's problems that exist in every church. But the key with those complaints or problems is how they're handled by the people that are put in leadership. That's the key. And with growth comes problems, growing pains, just like you and I had growing pains when we were little kids. Now, these Hebrews and these Hellenists, both Jews, but from different regions, the the Hebraic Jews were those who had remained in Judea near Jerusalem. They used the Hebrew language. They were called Hebrews. Not just because they liked a good cup of coffee. The other group were scattered throughout the regions. They spoke the Greek language. And those were the Hellenists. They used the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. They were called Hellenists from a word meaning Greek or Greek-speaking. To Hellenize meant to adopt Greek culture and ideas. We live in America. We're United States citizens. How does the culture you and I are in, that we've been raised in, affect us? How does it influence us? That's important to examine because it's not always good. Are you molded into the ways of thinking and acting of your culture here in the United States? Is Jesus your Lord? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We all need a renewed mind, amen, don't we? I mean, there's so much garbage in our mind. On any given day, we can hear something, look at something, read something, see something that just impacts our mind in a negative way. We need God's word to renew, to wash our mind. Now, there were dissensions that arose between the Hellenist Jews and the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews prided themselves on always living 
in the end, in the land of their fathers. They used the language that their fathers spoke, Hebrew. They were near the temple. They lived near the temple. They worshipped in the temple. There was prejudice towards the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were from other parts of the world. They were jealous of the Hebraic Jews because they were right in where it all happened. They were right there. So the flesh of the Hellenistic and the Hebraic were fighting within the individual selves and against each other. Boy, don't we see that today? How the flesh comes out, whether it be in religion, in race, whatever. The flesh stinks. It's got to be crucified. The Hellenistic Jews were meant to feel like outsiders. The strife between the two groups was was not automatically eliminated when they chose Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that something? Didn't just go away. What is something that's still going on in our lives, even though we're believers in Jesus? Everything is not automatically perfect, is it? There's still roots. There's still things that are there that God wants to uproot and make us more like him. Now, we see in the scripture that there were complaints concerning food distribution to widows. And this was brought to the apostles. Now we see here in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 to 6, a great example of godly wisdom and Christian unity. The early church worked through this dispute, and we see the forerunner of the office of deacon implemented here. The Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, just because they were in those categories, didn't mean they were holy and set apart for the things of God. Because we have in both the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, those who rejected Jesus as the Christ. They they didn't accept him. They resisted the preaching of the gospel, and they even tried to kill Christian missionaries. Now, in verse 2, it says, The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what you're seeing in this new church, remember, this is a brand new church. This is the beginning of the church age, the beginning of the Christian church. You see here levels of authority starting to be developed. You have deacons. Servants, And we'll see later in uh, Acts, the deacon ministry coming into full-fledged operation. There's elders and pastors. Remember, a disciple is not somebody who simply goes to church. A disciple is not somebody who's just a believer in Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who's saying, Lord, I'm sold out for you. You are totally it in my life. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to do everything necessary to be obedient to you. I give up all those things I used to be into. Even good things that distracted me from my heart being totally sold out to you. 
Does that mean if you're not a disciple, you're not saved? No, not at all. Not at all. But it is something that we see in the New Testament. We see, something, we see this in the history that those who were sold out for Christ are the ones that Jesus used to make a dramatic impact on their culture, their church, their world, their family, their neighborhood, their place of work. In Psalm 138.2, it says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. And that was Psalm 138, verse 2. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And a little later in the same verse, in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Remember it said just above, the word was God, and now the word, who's God, became flesh. God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then later on in John, uh, in seventeen, seventeen, chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So when you look at Psalm 138.2, it says, For you have magnified your word above your name. God the Father has magnified his Son's name, Jesus Christ, for you and I to identify. So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. When you want to know what the Father is like, just look at Jesus. He has shown us throughout the Scriptures. He who knows the Son knows the Father. And he who knows the Father knows the Son, for the Father and the Son are one. That's so important, because so many cults eliminate the divinity of Jesus Christ as being equal to God the Father. The Holy Spirit, God himself, mentioned 43 times in Acts, the Holy Spirit who is right here tonight allowing us to teach his word, the Holy Spirit who is here tonight living in each of you who have put your trust in Christ is allowing you to dissect the things that are being said by a sinner from the pulpit. It's the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with the vehicle up here. It's the Holy Spirit working through the person. How much of the Holy Spirit are you allowing to shine through your life to make an impact on the people that are in your life that God brings? How much of the Holy Spirit are you allowing to cleanse you and uproot those things that are hindering you from being a true disciple of Jesus Christ? That's something that each of us have to deal with one-on-one with God. But it's important that we do it. In verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Before we go to that, at the end of 2, it said, and serve tables. One of the things, if you look up the word for serve, that's where we get the word deacon from. A servant, a minister. So that's where you hear this word deacon. That's where it 
first comes into play here. So verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What business? Well, you might say, well, serving tables, the, the widows that weren't getting the daily distribution. Now, you might be thinking, well, a lunch line, uh, giving out food to people who need it. That is true. But it goes more than that. These men that were going to be chosen, these people that were going to be chosen, had to, almost like a benevolent application that is filled out, they had to be the guys who check out to see, were these widows really widows? Were they trying to rip off the church? The money that was coming in it had to be distributed. So rather than the apostles do this, where it took them away from praying and studying God's word, they needed help. So they wanted to find people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who they could appoint over that business. So that was being taken care of while the teaching of God's word. God is always looking for people, men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, with a good rep, with a good reputation that he can use for the running of his church on earth until he takes the church home. There's always business to take care of at the church. There's always something. You know, for 44 years when I was a school teacher, I didn't understand the things that go on in a good church. But being on staff for the past three years, you find out all the different things that go on. It's not just coming up here and teaching God's word. It's not just that. There's so many different things. Whether it's changing a light bulb, changing locks on a door, uh, plumbing, digging ditches. There's a lot of different things that go on. In Isaiah 6, verse 8, it says, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Have you said that? Is that a prayer of yours? That God is looking for a few good men or women to send, to go do things. Have you come to that point in your Christian walk where you can say, Jesus, here I am. Send me whatever you need. Whatever it is. Because you're all ministers or should be ministers or servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no job is too small. And no job is too big. Whether it's handing out a bulletin, whether it's getting a cup of water for a, a, a little a kid in the uh, nursery, doesn't matter. It's all important. Because what God sees is what? Not the action, right? What is he looking at? He's looking at your heart. The motive behind what you're doing and what I'm doing. Right? That's crucial. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, and the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, 
Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Now, this is a pretty cool thing. Remember what I said about digging? As you keep digging, you find out more about what we're reading. Well, isn't this cool that all the deacons, all the servants that they chose, were Hellenists? Remember where the problem was. It was with the Hellenistic widows. So they chose people from their own area, from their own place, to help them. What wisdom is that? Wasn't that great wisdom? These were people that spoke their own language, came from their own culture. They could identify. They couldn't, you know, now if they're complaining, because they're going to complain, they were complaining against their own. It wasn't saying, oh, these Hebraic Jews, look how they're treating us. Now it's their own people. True wisdom. So, I read this over, right? And I'm looking, I'm seeing all these names. And then I said, well, let me just go right down to uh, verse 6 and 7. And then I said, no, let's look at some of these people. Let's look at Stephen. Let's take a look at him. Because you have to understand, he was like you and me. He was hearing the gospel. He was going to church and hearing God's word. It was making a difference in his life. He wasn't from Jerusalem. He was from some region in the world. Stephen, we're going to see in chapter 7, which the whole chapter is about him. Chapter 7 was the first Christian martyr. He was chosen to serve as a deacon. Not long after what we're reading, he was arrested and charged with blasphemy against Moses and God by the very same people who went after Jesus Christ. The same guys. The same people. Because they had the same heart. It wasn't changed yet. God was trying to show them things. But they were stubborn. They were hard-hearted. If you jump down... A little uh, lower to verse 15. We've already read it. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. and They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You know, God was trying to get their attention. He was trying to get the attention of the priest, the leaders, because he loved them. He was trying to change their hearts. But they were stubborn suckers. They wouldn't listen. They want to listen. Stephen was the first New Testament believer, apart from the apostles, to perform miracles. His opponents could not stand against his wisdom from the Holy Spirit when he spoke. In frustration, Stephen's critics cooked up a plan to have him arrested on the false charge of blasphemy. They saw Stephen's appearance, yet they still were hard hearts. They they weren't being softened. They didn't want to change. They didn't even think about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai and having a glow on him. You know, these were supposed to be the experts of the Old Testament. 
They never related the two. God was trying to show them the appearance. Stephen was being compared to an angel who stands in God's presence and reflects his glory. An angel-like countenance was an um, expression often found out or often used in Judaism. It was used to illustrate a bright and enlightened, spellbinding or awe-inspiring appearance. So they would use this. This wasn't the first time it was being used. And as I just said, Moses spent time with the Lord. His face shone with such a radiant glow that the people were afraid to come near him. Um, The angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mom. And his mom said his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about in chapter 8, verse 1, wisdom lights up a person's face. Describing the transfiguration of Jesus, Luke writes, And as he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white in Luke 9, 29. Stephen stood before his accusers, glowing with the face of an angel, radiating God's wisdom and heaven's glory. Bible tells us that when you have a discussion with somebody or an argument, somebody's trying to get us into an argument, that a soft answer turns away wrath. You see, when we rely on God's word to do our talking, that person who is uh, engaging with us, they're going to see something different that they don't see in other people. That's God's presence. That's God's Holy Spirit. That's God shining through us. Stephen's countenance gave witness that he was the Lord's faithful servant. And like I said, too bad the Sanhedrin didn't remember how Moses had a shining face. They could have compared it to what they were seeing with Stephen. I believe God was trying to say, this man isn't a phony. This man is not a blasphemer. He's like Moses, my loyal servant. Stephen, the way you and I should be, should be a reflection of the glory of God's presence. Now, the next guy, Philip. The other Philip is usually distinguished from the disciple of the same name by calling this Philip, Philip the Evangelist or Philip the Deacon. Philip had a heart of evangelism. And you might have that same heart. You might have that gift of evangelism. Because of some of the people that are in the book of Acts, they had different gifts, but the same spirit. Using those gifts the way God saw fit. What's your gift? How's the Holy Spirit leading you individually here tonight? It's a question to ask if you don't know, Lord, what's my gift? Uh, Later on in the book of Acts in chapter 8, there was a great persecution going on. And Philip left Jerusalem to become an evangelist in Samaria. And we'll read about that later, like I said, in uh, chapter 8. After the church in Samaria was started, Philip was used by the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. If you remember that story, and in the end, the eunuch was saved and baptized. And then all of a sudden, Philip disappears. God needed him someplace else. He was out of there. 
Immediately following that baptism, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip the way to Azotus, where he continued to preach the gospel in the towns from there to Caesarea. Twenty years later, in the Acts uh, chapter 21, Philip is mentioned again, still in Caesarea. So here's a guy who had some ministry over many, many years. How many, how many years will God use you in ministry? How many years will he use me? Only he knows. But do you have that heart of a servant? Do you have that heart that God wants you to have? If not, ask for it and he will give it to you because that's his will. You're praying according to the will of God when you ask for a servant's heart. Paul and uh, Luke and others were traveling to Jerusalem and they stopped at Philip's home in Caesarea and they stayed with Philip for several days. This is the Philip that also had four unmarried daughters that had the gift of prophecy, if you're a reader of uh, the New Testament. And that'll be the last time where we see him later in Acts that he's even mentioned. Now, how about this guy, Prochorus? Prochorus was a secretary of John who wrote the book of John, 1, 2, 3, John, in the book of Revelation. So John hired him as his secretary. He was, bishop, he was a bishop of one of the early churches, and he ends up getting martyred. God uniquely equips believers for distinct types of service in his church. And that's, again... Not only back here, but it's also right here. When you see a person helping out on the grounds, when you see a person helping in the lobby or downstairs with the kids or up in the sound booth or back in the sound booth or up in the recording booth, those are different gifts of ministry. Those are different ways people are serving. And there's always a need for servants especially those that God raises up through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is called to serve. There are definitely different tasks, different gifts, different qualifications. These seven men were forerunners of the formal office of deacon in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Verse 22, it says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, in the scripture that we read about, they laid hands on them. You know, you've seen it up here when a person's been ordained as an elder or a pastor. Hands were being laid on them. You've seen it when someone's leaving the church and, so, and we lay hands on them and pray that God will continue to use them when they go to another place. Now, this verse in 1 Timothy is not so much caution against the physical action of laying on in hands, but to urge care by leadership in bestowing the responsibility of spiritual leadership on someone. That's a heavy responsibility. And throughout my experience in ministry, we've seen people 
with hands laid on him too soon. You know, and it didn't work out. They left the church under a negative context. So it's it's a very important thing that through prayer and uh, counseling through the uh, pastoral staff that hands are being laid on someone that God is bringing to the attention of the body of church, the uh, church where that body is being blessed. It's not an automatic thing. Verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice that God's word spread and the number of his disciples multiplied greatly. And not only that, but many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now you have to remember, these priests were the, the rabbis. These priests were those in the Sanhedrin, okay, that came to faith in Jesus Christ. More clergy... In churches, need to be saved. Because there's a title of a priest, or a pastor, or an elder, doesn't mean they're born-again believers. I hope you all know that. Doesn't automatically make them someone who is filled with God's Holy Spirit. Josephus, who was a secular historian back in this day, tells us there were close to 20,000 priests. Another scholar from that era said there was about 18,000 priests. When it says here in the scripture, a great many were obedient to the faith, doesn't tell us how many that was. Was it 3,000? Was it 5,000? We don't know, but it says a great many. How that must have shaken the religious establishment to see some of their own go over to faith in Jesus Christ because they believed he was God himself in the flesh, the Messiah, the Christ, that was prophesied in the Old Testament in the book that they were teaching in the synagogue. So you can see that if they weren't converted, how they'd be trying to hold on and get people riled up to fight against these new people because they saw themselves losing their power. They saw themselves losing money if so many people were going over to faith in Jesus Christ. And remember what I said, the same people who crucified Jesus are the ones that Stephen is standing before, and we'll see more of this in the future in chapter 7. Before we move on, just think of some of these people. Think of some of these priests of those 20,000. 
Some were involved in the arrest of Jesus Christ that came over to salvation in Christ. Some were at his trial. Some saw him beat and crucified. Some were in the temple when the veil was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died. Some of them knew Anna and Simeon, the two older people, remember them, that were waiting in the temple. Every day they went to the temple and then Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to them. And I think we can say with some good evidence, because even in the verse that I read tonight, in verse 9, where it says, and those from Cilicia. Cilicia was a region where Tarsus was from. Tarsus was in this area. You know who was from Tarsus? Our buddy Saul, who became Paul. And we'll see later on in Acts that Saul was actually holding the garments of the people who were throwing stones to kill Stephen. Isn't it interesting that Saul most likely heard Stephen speak? And we'll see the longest sermon given by a follower of Christ in chapter 7 when we get there. Stephen was accused of blasphemy. In verse 8 it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. You see, a person that's full of the Holy Spirit will be used by God and people will know God is working in their lives by the various things that take place. It's not normal stuff that happens. There's something different about that person. Look at what's going on. Look at how God is using that individual. Because the Holy Spirit in that person is doing the work. It's not that person who's doing it. That person has surrendered to God himself. And the more we absolutely surrender to God, the more he can work through us. When we get out of, our, uh, out of God's way, he can work much greater. It's usually us that get in the way of God's Holy Spirit working fully. In verse 9, I want to finish with um, this part here. Verse 9, Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. The synagogue of the freedmen, also called in the King James, the synagogue of the libertines. The synagogue of the freedmen is mentioned only once in the Bible. The word libertine is from the Latin and originally referred to a man who has been a slave but had been set free. Some scholars believe that these persons were slaves of the Romans who had been freed, became proselytes of the Jewish religion, and had a synagogue in Jerusalem. Other scholars contend that these freedmen were not Jewish proselytes, but Jews by birth, who had been taken into captivity by the Romans 
and then set free. There were many such Jews. Some speculate that even Saul of Tarsus was in this category. I think of Saul and just the dynamics with him and Stephen. Who would have been more capable of disputing with Stephen in matters of religion than Saul? But Stephen didn't have the training that Saul had. Saul was brought up in the best schools. We don't even know exactly what Stephen's background was. He was just an unlearned man, full of the Holy Spirit, made all the difference. That just perplexed the religious leaders. How does this guy know these things of the scriptures without even studying? And as we close tonight, Saul, who became Paul, would take the baton from Stephen eventually, and he'd be preaching in all the synagogues, just like Stephen was doing. Tonight, as we close, call to serve the title of the message is not for any particular individual. It's for everyone. Where are you in your faith walk with Jesus? Are you at the place where you're serving? If not, why not? What's holding you back from even giving a cup of water to someone on a Sunday morning? Something to put before the Lord. And if you are serving, ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything else? Do you want me to leave this to do something else that you're putting on me on my heart? Always seek the Lord in everything you're doing. Let him put on your heart those things. You know, when I was approached to be an elder or a pastor, I had to put that in prayer. Because it wasn't anything I sought. I didn't seek after that. I didn't say I want to be an elder. I didn't do that. I didn't say I want to be a pastor. I didn't do that. It's not a position for everyone. But there is a position for everyone. Are you in the position that God wants you to be? That's important. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.